The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Providing insight and resources for your spiritual journey. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hello, lovely listeners. I'm so happy to be speaking with you today. I'm back home. Those of you who are regulars know that the past couple of weeks, I was in South Florida at the Ocean Jade Health Retreat doing a supervised seven-day water-only fast with Dr. Frank Sabatino. And you know, it was an experience. I am going to blog about it at uh, MainStreetVegan.net slash blog. Haven't done it yet because I'm still trying to get back after working and, and being away and all that kind of thing. But, oh, my goodness, if you've never done it, well, maybe you want to do it. I guess I would say do it when you're young and have a little bit of extra weight because I did that. And it wasn't very difficult, but now with uh, 40 years more time on earth and 60 pounds less weight on my body, it was rough, I have to tell you, but an experience. So I will get busy on that blog post, and thanks to everybody who sent me good wishes and uh, caring and all those wonderful things. So we have a magnificent guest today, one of your favorite, favorite, favorites, who is back by popular demand. Now, if it happens that you are one of those rare people who listens to this program live instead of as a podcast, you can call in and actually ask a question of the luminous Dr. John McDougall. The number for that is 816-347-5519. 
816-347-5519. Again, that's 816-347-5519 from anywhere on the planet. So, Dr. John McDougall is a physician, an internist, director of the McDougall Program in Santa Rosa, California, a multifaceted life and health revolutionizing system, that's what I'd call it, that includes everything from a 10-day live-in, eat-in program to online courses and best-selling books, including The Healthiest Diet on the Planet, a cookbook co-authored with his wife, Mary McDougall RN, and The Starch Solution. Eat the foods you love, regain your health, and lose weight for good. Well, that's what happened to me. If you're listening live, as I said, you can call in. And if you're listening sometime in the future, oh, my goodness, learn and learn lots. Because nobody knows more about eating plants and feeling great than Dr. John McDougall. Welcome. Well, welcome, Victoria. Can you hear me okay? I hear you beautifully. Oh, good. Okay. So... People have heard you before. People know you. You have many, many fans. So just give us the very compressed version of what is the McDougal way to be healthy and live well. Well, it's, uh, the first thing you need to understand is it's standard medicine. There's nothing unestablished, unorthodox, uh, you know, nothing, nothing uh, out of the... Uh, normal practice of medicine that should be practiced. Uh, what I do differently is I treat dietary diseases by changing people's diets. How revolutionary. <laughs> yeah, I know, it seems bizarre. Uh, I'm a board-certified in- internist, internal medicine specialist, licensed in five states, uh, a professor at four, four medical schools, and... Uh, <clears throat> You know, I've been doing this for, well, I've been actually in medicine for half a century, and I've been doing the, the diet therapy for about 40 years. So that makes me a grandfather, and in my eighth decade of life, yeah, I've been around a long time. I've done a lot of things, and I can tell you just uh, offhandedly that everyone eating the Western diet, everyone eating the Western diet, shows improvement when they get on the human diet, which is a starch-based diet, and it was based on rice and corn and potatoes, with the addition of fruits and vegetables and as a point of education and uh, humanly behavior, humanistic behavior, civilized behavior, you don't eat any animals. And uh, it works. We have published ourselves three papers on the effects. Uh, one is on 1,615 people. And what happened to them over seven days? And what happened was they lost eating as much as they want. They lost 3.1 pounds. Their cholesterols dropped uh, 22 points on average. Uh, their blood pressures dropped when they were high. 18, over 11 millimeters of mercury. Uh, They stopped or reduced nearly 90% of their blood pressure and or diabetic pills and most other pills. And they felt better, which uh, we recorded only a little bit in our scientific paper. 
the headaches went away, the indigestion went away, the constipation was a thing of the history, and so was the diarrhea. So that's one paper we published a couple of years ago, actually three years ago. The one we just published was from Oregon Health and Science University Medical School in Portland. And that was a one-year randomized control trial. And that trial showed that 85% of people were compliant with our diet for a year. Uh, the fat drop content in their diet dropped from 40% to less than 15%. <clears throat> they got an average, and these people weren't even there for weight loss, yet they maintained a 20-pound weight loss for a year. And even though they weren't sent there for cholesterol, they uh, maintained a 20-point drop in cholesterol for a year, simply through diet, and the education all came from our live-in program in Santa Rosa, California. But after that and before that, I had nothing to do with patients. They were all gathered, analyzed, and the results published by the medical school, the neurology department at Oregon Health and Science University. And then a study came out a couple of months ago called the BROAD study. I don't know what the acronym stands for, and neither do the authors. B-R-O-A-D. It was done in New Zealand. It was our diet used for a year. And about 70, 80% of people maintained, or in other words, were compliant with the diet for a year. And the average weight loss was maintained for a year, 25 pounds. <clears throat> so those are very, very dramatic, scientifically published results that are uncontested and uncontestable. Uh, so if you change from the Western diet, which is typified by poisons, uh, in other words, animal foods and oils, those are major poisons, and some minor poisons which we use, which is salt and sugar. If you get rid of the poisons and instead eat what human beings are supposed to eat, which is starch, in other words, rice, corn, potatoes, beans, peas, lentils, sweet potatoes, with some green and yellow vegetables and stay away from all vegetable oils and all animal foods. You'll get those results and more. And but you've certainly been doing that with people for a very long time. 40 years, 10,000 people. Woo! That is amazing. So tell us, Dr. McDougall, when somebody is just starting... What are the questions people ask you? What are the arguments? Do they say, but, and how come? What are, what's the problem? Why is this hard for some people? Well, it depends on whether they're asking or asking. <laughs> uh, some people are just uh, uh, in horrible trouble, and they're superficially asking for a miracle. Tell me the supplement. Uh, you know, tell me I have to skin my chicken. Uh, if they're asking at that level where they really haven't seriously thought about it and taking a little trouble to learn what they have to do, the success rate is zero. And they have a long, long time of lessons, both negative, where the heart surgeon gets them, or some other part of the pharmaceutical industry, or they have positive experiences, like they listen to your show. And uh, they go to our website, and 
they meet people who have made this very simple, cost-free, money-saving, no-side-effect change from eating meat and dairy and fish and poultry and oil. And that's the hardest one, Victoria, for people to get. They just can't understand why I can't eat olive oil or corn oil or safflower oil or flaxseed oil. These oils are not food. They're not food. They don't exist in nature. They're an isolated, concentrated nutrient stripped from a banana or an olive or corn or rice or an orange. Totally isolated from all their natural ingredients. It's just oil. And at best, it's medicinal. At worst, it's toxic. Now, your listeners should think the fat I eat is the fat I wear. So why, why is it that oil is so hard? Because it doesn't taste good. Nobody would take it by the tablespoon, although I can remember doing that back in the 70s. I was on a kind of Edgar Casey apple diet, and you had to have a tablespoon or two of olive oil at night. And I remember swallowing few things as repugnant, and yet, I sure have enjoyed it sautéing an onion in my day. Well, oil acts as a vehicle. You know, it's a vehicle <clears throat> for easy cooking. Cooks can keep the food from sticking to the pan, so they like that. But a Italian cook can do that with various vegetable broths and water, grapefruit juice, and so on. So it doesn't show the uh, skill level of a quality cook by them uh, putting tablespoons of olive oil in a fry pan and frying something up. That takes no skill. Uh, The other uh, form of vehicle use that the uh, oil does is it gets what we like to stick to the food. People love salt, sugar, and spice. It's natural. It's on the tip of your tongue and in your nasal passages. Well, it's a problem to get salt, sugar, and spice to stick to, to food. What oil does, it is, a, a, it is a vehicle to allow the salt to stick to the French fries and potato chips and a vehicle to get the sugar to stick to the donuts. I remember my donut-eating days, which was probably before I was 10 years old. They would serve plain fried donuts, and they were unedible. You had to put the oil on the donut and dump it in a sugar coating to get it palatable. The same thing with um, you know, most other foods, animal foods, like a, a piece of cow muscle or a wing of a chicken. You can't get people to eat it unless you get uh, 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 salt and, and sugar on it or some type of spice mixture to cover up the bland taste or the ugly taste. Then once you get the sugar and spice to cover it up uh, with a barbecue sauce or so on, then you can get this disgusting food intended for animals like kitty cats and tigers and lions and uh, some omnivores like bears, and, but not intended for human beings. You can get a human being to violate his or her species' needs by covering up the disgusting muscles. 
You can indeed. And this is interesting to me, Dr. McDougall, because of all the people that I have known who say, I'm a sugar addict. And I say, oh, you eat sugar cubes? Well, no. Ah, cough drops? Never. Tic Tacs? Uh uh. It's always the, the fat and the sugar together or the fat and the salt together. That seems to be what makes it the devil's workshop. Well, you know, it's hard. I, uh, I remember again as a child finding a uh, honeybee's nest and gathering the honeycomb and uh, letting it uh, sit in the dish for a while and kind of age a little bit and then get rid of the bees. And then going in with a spoon and taking a spoonful of the honey. Now, I could get a spoonful down. But after that, there was a sense that I really don't want this. Now, I enjoyed maybe the first spoonful or tablespoonful. But there's a limit. Once you get sugar satiated, uh, you become naturally repulsed to it. It's just like taking a tablespoon of white sugar. That's too concentrated. The body really doesn't like that. If you can mix the sugar up with other ingredients like spices and salts and whatever flavors come naturally from corn or potatoes and so on, you you produce an irresistible dish. When you mix it up and put it over dead animals, you can produce a mix that you can tolerate, but not a, not a beautifully tasting, delicious dish. It's just tolerable. Mm-hmm. They, they go to at the fast food restaurants. They uh, put a bunch of oil and a bunch of flour batter and a bunch of spices and a bunch of sugar and a bunch of salt. And then, um, like Kentucky Fried Chicken. I'll always remember my Kentucky Fried Chicken days. And you're going back 40 years. Uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Actually, I was thinking a lot of last night when I was watching the Warriors game. The Kentucky Fried Chicken I would eat would be mostly bread with oil and sugar and salt. And then underneath was a was skin. And then underneath that was a very thin layer of muscle. And then under that were bones. So you ended up basically eating the, the oil uh, batter. I mean, that's what you buy in a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken. You buy oily batter. You know, you're not getting a deal, folks. If you, however, made uh, mashed potatoes, and they do serve mashed potatoes there. I don't know what they have in the Kentucky Fried Chicken, but that's the only part I really enjoy. Uh, if you made mashed potatoes at the cost of flour per person, and some corn, and maybe some peas, and then you made a nice, tasty gravy, it will need to have a little salt. Then you end up with an extremely tasty, almost perfectly healthy dish that almost everybody loves. And you didn't have to go out for it. I was reading, I think it was on my website, uh, about a challenge that a former Big Loser, Big Loser TV show, he has a new show, made to one of the uh, former Big Loser participants. He gave them a $15, and told him to go out to a restaurant and buy a meal and come back. And the challenge was, is the uh, head of the biggest loser, the one who gave it up and now is in the plant foods, made a meal in that time span faster 
and more delicious than going to a fast food restaurant and less expensive. People have just been fooled by the food industry. Why? Not because they're trying to be malicious and hurt your family. Not because it's a conspiracy, but because they are a business and must pay employees and must show advantages to the stockholders, their business. So they have to win. And you can't win by feeding people dead muscle or unsalted cheese. You know, they just won't buy it. You've got to feed them a, a wonderful mixture of spices, which contains lots of sugar and salt. So that's that's kind of the way it is. It's ignorance based on profit. What? Well, and, and a great knowledge of how to addict people. Yeah, they actually, you've probably seen those 60 Minutes reports and stuff where they actually have departments that are designed to make the food irresistible. Yeah, yeah. I used to think when I saw a big crowd of people or a really long line at an airport that it meant that a flight was delayed or there was some kind of problem. But now I see, no, that's just the Starbucks. <laughs> just walk past, it'll all be fine. McDonald's. I, I When I walk through airports, McDonald's always stand out, and they always have the biggest line. But these days at airports uh, that I go to, like SFO, San Francisco, and PDX, Portland, uh, these days, or, or Denver, these days when you walk down the uh, boarding aisles, you find many, many, many ethnic restaurants. Yes, you do. Uh, some designate themselves as vegetarian. You find lots and lots of taquerias, which have whole black beans at least, if not whole pinto beans in addition. Uh, so uh, TGF Fridays, they serve a, uh, a mushroom, let's see, no, a black bean burger. You even have to edit the black bean burger. But at least it's a vegan burger. Mm-hmm. Serve at TGF Fridays. And they have these food courts with Asian restaurants, Thai, Chinese, Japanese restaurants. So, uh, you know, you may say that you can't eat when you travel, but Mary and I can. Yeah. It's it's so much easier. I I mean, and obviously I think most of us know to bring a little something these days because you never know. You might be like I was stuck in Gainesville (laughs) where (laughs) that was difficult. But You know, you just live, and it's so much easier than it used to be. So, Dr. McDougall, when we talked last time, there were several things I wanted to ask you that we didn't have time for. And the one I want to talk to you about the most is potatoes. I think of you every time I eat a potato, which is often, and yet there are other physicians, even within the plant-based world, who say, no, 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 it's okay to eat sweet potatoes. Don't eat Irish potatoes. They're too highly glycemic. What do you say? I say that they're ignorant. And? I mean, they're just plain and simple, uninformed. Or they could be liars. I guess that's a pretty common word used today. For what advantage, I don't know. I have to believe they're ignorant. Uh, and the potato is kind of the holy grail of foods. It's been the worldwide uh, pillar of nutrition for tens of thousands of years. Uh, in South America, people basically lived on potatoes for, we have documented, for 15,000 years. Uh, the potato back then, thousands of years ago, 
in the Andes was particularly useful because it could be freeze-dried in the Andes. At night in the mountains, it froze, and so the potatoes froze. And then they would stamp on them when they thawed and squeeze some of the water out. And then during the day, it was very hot, and so they would dry them. And they would take this end product called chunio, and they would uh, put it in dry places, and it would last for 10 years. And that's how the villages survived, was on chunio. So uh, the potato is also known as the anti-vitamin C or anti-scurvy anti-vitamin C. It's anti-scurvy vegetable because it provides all the vitamin C necessary so you can live on potatoes and water alone. And people have for in experimental settings for six months, a year and a half, in uh, worldwide population studies for decades. Uh, after World War II, basically all they had in Germany was potatoes. And it supported the population in excellent health. So somebody who says potatoes are bad for you just doesn't know their science. And they should be called on it. Uh, Potatoes, if I had one food to live on, it would be the potato. And it would be white potatoes because I like them better than sweet. But sweet would be fine. Yeah. Yeah, So they don't know what they're talking about. We had a fun experiment done socially last year by Andrew Taylor. Who's called Spudfit? If you haven't had him on your show, you should. He's from Australia, and he lived for a year on potatoes and dramatically improved his health. Wow! And feeling, and dropped about 120 pounds in a year, and loved his experiment. So uh, I guess the reason people say don't eat white potatoes is they're white, and don't eat white food because all white food is bad. I eat cauliflower. You know, I mean, it's just stupid stuff. It's hard. It's hard to know where to begin with this stupidity and uh, the misunderstanding. And unfortunately, these days, because of communication, you can tell alternative truths all day long and make fake news all day long. And few people take the trouble to point it out. Uh, I don't think I ever miss it. Runs fake news or alternative facts. But the poor consumer, you know, they go, just like with the rest of politics, they go, oh, I didn't know that. Well, it must be true. It's in the news. Uh, what else can I say? It's well, just- would, you, would you tell people just ignore that whole glycemic index thing and just eat plants, eat starches, be happy? Uh, yes, I would tell them to put uh, the glycemic index in proper context. It was brought out by a friend of mine, a, doctor, a fellow named David Jenkins, who's at University of Toronto. <clears throat> He's a, a PhD in nutrition and a friend. He's been a friend for over 20 years. And in 1982, he published the glycemic index. And still to this day, he doesn't know what it really means in terms of people's behavior. What he uh, did is he took white sugar or white bread, fed it to people, measured their blood sugar, and saw how high their blood sugar went. He considered white sugar or white bread to be 100%. So he gave it the value of 100 in terms of rise of blood sugar. And then he compared the rise in blood sugar with other foods. And when he fed them potatoes, 
rather than it being 100% like white sugar, it was 119%, or a glycemic index of 119. When he fed him Snickers bar, the Snickers bar, you know, the candy bar, uh-huh. the glycemic index was 70. So based on that, you'd be better all day long to eat Snickers bars than you would to be eating potatoes or bread or the things that we know are good for you. So what the glycemic index does is a, is a measure of postprandial, in other words, after eating, blood sugar response. Well, excuse me, the reason you eat is to raise your blood sugar. That's what it's supposed to do. So, uh, yes, uh, the, the glycemic index, which has been, ter- been turned into whole books, is misunderstood and has led people down some very dark paths. I don't think you should pay attention to any of this garbage. What you need to do is know just a couple of, three, three rules or three understandings of classification of food. One, there are two classifications of food that I consider food poisons. They will kill you. Some people consuming them in small small amounts will kill them. Other people, they can eat a lot of it. And they seem to resist and not die. The body's tough. But, but these foods kill people. They kill them with breast cancer, colon cancer, prostate cancer, rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, coronary artery disease, strokes, whatever you could die from in terms of obesity. They kill people. And those two categories are animal foods and vegetable oils. So what you need to identify, just like if you're a person quitting smoking, is what you have to do. When it comes to quitting smoking, you just don't touch another lucky strike again. If you're a drunk, there's only one thing you have to do. You just leave the booze alone. And you're cured. That's the area of poison that's killing you. Nicotine and alcohol, because you're nicotine addicted and you're an alcoholic. When it comes to people who are sick from food, they must be able to identify the food clearly, easily, so they can take action. And that food falls into the two categories. Animal foods, if it ever came from an animal, whether the animal secreted it into a glass of white liquid, or whether the animal involuntarily donated it in the form of cut-off piece of arm. Oh, or an eyeball, or an ear. I got you, Bill. If it came from an animal, you don't eat it. That's just an easy way to deal with it. And if it's an oil, a free oil, now oils in corn and potatoes and rice, they're in a melu, an environment that makes them safe. When you remove the oils, let's just say from the corn, from the rest of the corn, you leave all the vitamins, fiber, minerals, etc. behind. And you're, now you're dealing with an isolated, toxic nutrient, oil. So that's what you don't eat, and what you do eat is starch. Uh, 90% of your plate should be starch. That's rice, corn, potatoes, sweet potatoes, pasta, bread, beans. When you look at your plate, 90% of it should be these foods. 
Rice, corn, and potatoes have supported the bulk of the population that's lived on planet Earth. Up until these days, almost everybody on planet Earth, and I'm talking about these days within the last 50 years, almost everybody lived on a starch-based diet. Over the past 35 years, since 1980, massive populations such as China and India and countries in South America and Central America have given up their traditional diets of corn and rice and potatoes and instead picked up meat and oils and Kentucky Fried Chicken and McDonald's and so on. And those of you who are old enough to remember, you would likely have to be over 45, remember when once in your native country, Mexico, China, Thailand, Peru, once in your native country, there were no fat people. If you were close to the medical business, either by being a family member or a doctor or a dietitian, etc., then you knew there were no diabetes type 2 or even type 1. You know that. Rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis were non-existent in your country. And now, uh, just as an observer, you can see that the Chinese are just as fat as Americans. People in middle and upper class India are just as fat and diabetic and sick as Americans. Wherever you go in the world, I don't, you know, it's hard to find a place that hasn't converted to a meat, oil, dairy, junk food diet. It's just become so prevalent. Why? Because of business. These are big businesses that spread their wrath all over the world. Same thing happened with the cigarette industry in the 1960s. When we couldn't sell cigarettes in the U.S. with as much efficiency, because Luther Terry, the Surgeon General in 1964, came out with the Surgeon General's report on uh, smoking and health. Cigarette smoking didn't vanish, but it sure dropped in use after the 1960s. But what uh, the tobacco companies did is they just shipped their poison to China Mm. and Vietnam and Africa. So there are lots of cigarette smokers all over the world, definitely more than there were back in the 1970s. Same thing happened with uh, baby formula. Once it was uh, popularized in the U.S., that baby formula kills babies and makes them as children and adults, less intelligent, more likely to get common diseases, etc. Once that became well publicized in the U.S., then the company started selling their formula in Africa. There's a well-known and well-repeated slogan, Nestle's Kills Babies. Started in the early 80s or probably in the 70s, and it's still a common announcement all over the world. Nestle's kills babies. So what we do when uh, Americans or Canadians, for example, smarten up about what's killing them and the companies realize that their sales are decreasing, they just look for other markets. And so they have with food. So now they're killing the rest of the world. And actually, Victoria, as you and I know, they're killing the entire planet. True. You know, so 
It's, uh, uh, it's an epidemic that is killing billions of people and soon will make planet Earth uninhabitable. Unless we did something drastic. Well, I told the public that human beings are starch wars. They're starch eaters. They're starch vegetarians. And if we, as a population of 7 billion people, would get back onto the diet that the Chinese ate 35 years ago, a starch-based diet, and people in Central America ate 35 years ago, and people in South America ate 35 years ago and longer, we could turn around climate change. We could turn it around overnight and at least give us a chance to fix the other problems that are going to make the entire planet extinct. Well, this is, to me, so exciting. I know that a lot of people are concerned that our government is not, at this time, paying a lot of attention to climate change. But this is something you don't need a government for. You can do it at the grocery store. If enough of us did this, we could save the climate, regardless of what any government does. It's extremely empowering. And speaking of that kind of thing, I want to ask you, Dr. McDougall, about health care and health care costs. So how much of a difference would it make if great masses of people adopted a McDougall-style diet? What would it do in just dollars and cents in the U.S. economy? My guess is you would have 9 out of 10 hospitals in your community closed. There'd be a few open for emergencies, acute infections, but, you know, essentially 80% of the business of a standard hospital comes from heart disease. You'd eliminate heart disease. So 80% of the business lost from a typical hospital would shut the doors. Uh, Yeah, I think easily, easily 80-90% of the business uh, for the medical profession Hospitals, drug companies, surgeons, doctors, etc., would disappear overnight. Well, that might harm the economy, but we'd sure be happy in our healthy, simple lives. I was presented uh, this argument back when I first started selling books in the 1980s. I would go on radio shows and uh, talk radio shows, and people would call me up. I remember one instance. Specifically, man called me up and says, hey, you're hurting my family. I'm not going to be able to pay tuition for the kids going to school, put shoes on the babies, make my house payments. Because of what you're doing in terms of talking about dairy. And I said, I realize that. I said, but what if my subject was tobacco? And I was telling people that tobacco kills. Would you mind a few tobacco farmers going out of business to change that? Same thing. Uh, dairy products give you heart, heart attacks, death from heart disease, strokes, various kinds of cancer, constipation in a big time. Uh, it's full of infection. It's the dirtiest. Dairy is the dirtiest food of all in terms of microbes. It's full of uh, environmental contaminants. There's every reason for a conscious person to stand up and make dairy illegal 
or at least give it the classification of uh, whiskey or vodka or Marlboro's or Chesterfield's. In other words, you can't buy it unless you're over 21 because it's a deadly poison. Uh, I don't know. It's not going to happen, though. It hasn't in my uh, challenging lifetime. I've been at this for 40 years. I've been trying to tell people this on Larry King, on CNN News, you know, all kinds of radio and TV shows. I spent almost 15 years on the road trying to inform people of these simple, undeniable facts. And industry started to fight back then. They started hiring their own scientists, doing their own research, buying their own journals, or taking over other respectable journals, so that uh, surveys done, published in the uh, Public Library of Science, show that over 70% of the research that's in the food journals is paid for by a food industry. You know, similarly as bad as the pharmaceutical industry, which pays, you know, pays for at least as much drug research, which most of it, all of it's tainted. Not, not most of it. All of it's tainted to uh, show one outcome, and that is that their products are good. Uh, there aren't the restrictions on <clears throat> research that there should be. Things have changed. You have to declare your funding before you register a paper. So if you're funded by the Dairy Council or some form of big pharma, you have to register it uh, with an organization that lays out your intention so that a practice that was common can't take place anymore. And that practice was when a company decided to do a research project, they put together a contract that the research researchers had to sign, which was that they couldn't publish their data unless it was approved by the company. Well, you know what happened. Uh, when the research came out negative for the particular product being funded, that particular company that was funding it put the, uh, put the next on uh, a publication. You can't publish it. And so, you know, let's just guess half, I don't know how many, but a good percentage of the papers were not allowed to be published, even though when they originally designed the paper, their methodology made it almost impossible for the research not to show the outcomes they were looking for. You know, Victoria, it's just money. Don't take it personal. Nobody hates you. Nobody's out to get you. They're just out to make money. And that's the way it is in every industry. The drug industries, the automobile industries, the flower industries. That means they like flowers with the, with the buds and leaves. And, yes. You know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just all about money, so grow up. Wow. And the, the only way we're going to change this is to make the reward uh, doing the right thing. Or which I want to get back to a statement you made, or we uh, hire a government that's willing to do what they're supposed to do. Government is supposed to defend us from form 
and domestic threats. In other words, we have a U.S. government that has built many branches of armed service, Navy, Army, Air Force, etc., and spent trillions of dollars equipping those particular organizations to defend us. We have not, nor would you expect, Ford Motor Company, IBM, Hewlett Packard, to build an army for us to protect us. They can't and will not do it. So that's protecting us against foreign threats. The same thing goes for domestic threats. Only our government can stand up to big food, big farm, and big hospital, and big medicine, in other words, physicians. No individual company has the power or the interest to do that. So we have to ask our government to protect us against foreign and domestic threats. I don't see any way around it. I don't care whether you're a Democrat, a Republican, a Republican, a communist. I don't care what your political intention is. That has to happen for us to have a better country, better lives, better health. Mm. You know, it's just no other way around it. So throw your politics out the window and get real. Haha. And I think what you're saying, oh, my gosh, about the money is so true. I just saw a wonderful new documentary called Complicit, which is about people in China who work in these plants that provide parts for Apple and Samsung and other electronics. And they clean the screens with a benzene solution because it's cheaper than a solution that won't give people neurological poisoning and leukemia. So I I guess it's everywhere and around the world, and thank God we at least have some power at the grocery store. So what about recidivism, Dr. McDougall? I know in the vegan world, and I know you don't use that word and you come at this from a different point of view, but I have read articles that say of people who just go vegan, which is arguably easier than what you're saying because vegans, if they so choose, can still have oil and whatnot – 80% go back. So what can we do to keep the people who are with us from entering the darkness yet again? Well, you eat a starch-based diet, whether it's vegan or not. I personally, my diet is vegan, has been for, well, probably 1977. So what's that, 40 years. But I don't teach a vegan diet because a vegan diet could be it could be Boca burgers and baked cheese. Uh, vegan diet could be uh, <clears throat> Cokes and potato chips. That's a vegan diet. Uh, usually the interpretation of a vegan diet by people who have some information is they go to uh, non-starchy green and yellow vegetables. Those, those examples of those would be kale and celery, and broccoli, and cauliflower, non-starchy green and yellow vegetables. And they eat these in volume, and they never get satisfied. So they're not going to stick with it. And they eat grumbly stomachs, and they don't feel well. These are the nutrient-dense diets out there. Some of the nutrient-dense gurus have discovered this, that people can't follow their diets. So they, they know they have to add some starch. So they let you eat a couple of beans. 
And some of them really discovered it and said, you know, you really have to eat plenty of starch to get satisfied. Uh, so, yeah, vegan means nothing about success. Now, we had our, our work study, which is a starch-based diet. It happens to be vegan, too. That has some relevance in the fact that once people dip their hands into the dirty foods, it's hard to stop. So it's better to just say, I won't eat these food poisons, which are animal foods and oils. I just won't eat them. So it has some relevance, but if you have a diet that is over 70% starch, and my goal for people is 90% starch, in other words, they look at their plate, And they see 90% of the food is potatoes and or beans, pasta, uh, sweet potatoes. You know, if if 90% of the food of the plate is starch, they're going to walk away feeling good, fully satisfied with everything going in the right direction. Now, I'd like to see the other 10% of that diet as fruits and vegetables. But will people do as well eating a few animals? Probably. Probably, except they can't because the few animals turns into a whole herd of animals. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it's the lack of starch that kills them. Think about this and do some research. All, all, all large successful populations of people throughout all of verifiable history have obtained the bulk of their calories from starch i.e. the Mayans and Aztecs are known as the people of the corn. When you think of Asia, Thailand, Vietnam, China, Japan, what do you think about? Even though it's white rice, what do you think about? When you think about the Middle East, you know, the place that we're fighting daily, hourly, minute by minute, we see it on the news, Egypt, Syria, Iraq, Iran, that's the breadbasket of the world. I could go on and on and on. Almost everybody that has ever lived on planet Earth has lived on a starch-based diet. The exceptions would be people who lived on the extremes of the environment, such as the Inuit Eskimo, or the kings and queens throughout history, and the people who have lived in the world since 1980 they have changed the bulk of their calorie intake away from starch. Well, not if you can help it. And Dr. McDougall, you have done so much in your long career, still going strong. Just what you said earlier about the places that we can find food at airports. It wouldn't be like that if you and a few others like you, because very few go back as far as you. I I remember when you and and Michael Clapper showed up at Vegetarian Summerfest, it was like this buzz. It's like, we have medical doctors. You know, that had never happened before. And and things are changing. We just have to trust they're going to change in time, certainly for the planet. So thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. I want to tell all the listeners to be sure that you visit the show notes on MainStreetVegan.net. Just go to podcast. There's a little drop down. It'll say show notes because Dr. McDougall provided us 
with all kinds of amazing links. You can watch video about his program. You can go to studies that he's been a part of. You can get all kinds of really great information, and it's all laid out there for you with just one click. So thank you for that, Dr. McDougall. Also, if you go to iTunes, to Main Street Vegan, or to the Unity Online Radio site and go to the Main Street Vegan page, all you have to do is put McDougall in the um, little search box, and you can hear the previous program uh, on which Dr. McDougall was a guest. And I also encourage you to do the same with the name Heidrich, H-E-I-D-R-I-C-H, and you can hear Dr. Ruth Heidrich, a, a very early uh, success story uh, from Dr. McDougall. She's a cancer survivor of over four decades. She's still a long-distance runner in her 80s, extremely inspiring episode. So, Dr. McDougall, thank you for saving lives and enlightening everybody and and for keeping doing it. My very best to your lovely wife, your brilliant son, and everybody out there in Santa Rosa. And and if I could mention our website, which is drmcdougall.com. And every week I do a live webinar on Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific time. And I send out a newsletter letter every month, and we have all kinds of communications, and we have live-in programs, weekends, 10-day programs, medical doctor supervised programs. So, uh, you know, we have a, a lot of opportunities to offer people at many levels of interest and need, and you'll find all of that at drmcdouble.com, and it's basically all free except, of course, the office. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much. And to everybody, God bless you. Eat your veggies and your starches. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. moment we live can be holy and all we need to do to experience that state is to make the decision to do so everything we do can be a prayer and by using our innate creativity with intention in every aspect of our lives that can indeed be true author carla kincannon wrote creativity is so much more than art making It is a tool for navigating through everyday experiences to find the sacred in each God-given moment. Discover Creative Spirit, Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Central Time, and experience the joy of connecting to spirit through creative expression.
truly understand the laws of the universe and live a life based on these profound and unwavering truths, then your dream life starts today. No more waiting. No more wandering. If you're ready to let go of the striving and move into the allowing, you are ready for everyday attraction on Unity Online Radio. We study the teaching of Abraham given to us by beautiful Esther Hicks so we can release confusion for clarity, exchange struggle for serenity, and have the time of our lives today. Join host Ray Zander every Friday at noon Central Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Unity Online Radio for Everyday Attraction, where the law of attraction gets real. Like life, grief is a journey, not a destination. Whether it is loss of life, relationship, security, or simply the process of change, have you given yourself permission to begin your journey of grief? Have you yielded to the gift of grace? Join Reverend Chaz Wesley every Thursday at 5 p.m. Central on a virtual navigation from grief to grace and explore new horizons of empowerment, significance, and support only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Every moment we live can be holy, and all we need to do to experience that state is to make the decision to do so. Everything we do can be a prayer, and by using our innate creativity with intention, in every aspect of our lives, that can indeed be true. Author Carla Kincannon wrote, Creativity is so much more than art making. It is a tool for navigating through everyday experiences to find the sacred in each God-given moment. Discover Creative Spirit, Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Central Time, and experience the joy of connecting to spirit through creative expression. Notice how the funniest things happen when we stop taking ourselves too seriously and step out boldly? Listen to Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed as these unlikely saints administer a refreshing dose of laughter and love that will inspire you to step out boldly and experience the funniest things. Join the discussion with Daryl and Ed live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Central Time on Funniest Thing, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What if you were intentional about your life, committed to having more energy and being more vibrant? Join Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. 
Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how each week on The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us, and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.